Welcome to TBT with Grace and Emma, a podcast on the millennial generation and how we came to be. I'm Emma. I'm Grace. On this week's episode, we provide some updates on our New Year's resolutions. We learn a little bit more about millennial home buyers and recent trends with them. And as always, we pepper in our fortnightly insights on millennials' relationship to capitalism. And we have some good TBTs. Such good TBTs. Emma's going to blow your mind. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. You really don't want me to talk about your TBTs. It's fine. Enjoy the show. (laughs) Are we recording? We are now. Oh. You always surprise me. I did it right as you were turning to ask that. Maybe I just know uh, when you're going to ask and try to get ahead of it. We're so synced. Hey, Grace. Hey, Emma. Happy 2K19. Happy New Year. We did it. We made it. Wow. It was, um, how'd that go? Like transitioning to this new year? Yeah. You know, I don't feel like it was terribly notable in ways that past years have. Mm. Um, I, it's, it really had like 2018 was kind of a big year. You and I both like finished our degree. We yeah. Got, we are masters. <laughs> um, Say it again. We lived through Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson's whole relationship. Oh my God. I was thinking about that on the way over. <laughs> the radio was playing a lot of her. She's yeah. so everywhere. She's great. Um, I like her music. Um, <laughs> And uh, we both started new jobs. Like, it just feels like there's been so many other milestones that the year ending mm. didn't really register as strongly. Yeah. How about you? Well, as we all know, I'm a Capricorn baby. Oh, yeah. Which means I really actually like it and have grown to like it more and more as I've gotten older. I really like that the end of the calendar year syncs up with the end of my age year. Mm. Because everything just... It feels like a very momentous time. Like, January feels really cleansing for me. Yeah. It's, like, actively raining outside right now, which has been not super normal for California. Yeah. Drought life. And (laughs) it feels like... January always feels really exciting to me, I think, Mm -hmm. because of birthday stuff. But also, I think... I think it's really the month where I feel like a new lease on life. Mm. And I feel, like, set to grow. Well, in that respect, what are what are you leaving behind in 2018 and and what do you hope for the year ahead? Oh. Do you be, do you believe in resolutions like New Year's resolutions? I mean, believe in or like <laughs> I don't ascribe to them yeah. as a religion, but sure. <laughs> but I I enjoy them. I really like having yeah this moment of like growth and thinking ahead to Mm -hmm. what I want to make sure I concentrate on I also feel like in January there's not a lot of external distractions because it feels like the whole world kind of like huddles a little bit a little like things kind of like slow shut down a little bit so I feel like it's my time to figure out like okay who do I want to be so I think every year I do make some kind of commitment or like create like a focus area or something for myself got it do you um i haven't done it in the past um i'm trying to to start the year off strong yeah um but i do 
as Dave Chappelle said on New Year's Eve, which I don't know if you watched any of the New York coverage, but did not. He was in Ohio. Anyway, he was <laughs> they like sent Dave Chappelle to Ohio. I think he's from there. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. I could be wrong. No, I think you're right. Okay. Um, oh, I have something to say about Dave Chappelle. I can't wait to hear it. All I'll say is I thought he handled. He was talking to Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen. <laughs> yeah, and he was. They were asking the most fluffy questions, and he was doing such a great job of fielding them. But one thing he said was like, they asked him if they if he had any New Year's resolutions, and he's like, "No, I don't believe in lying to myself, <laughs> or like you know, I don't believe in like making a false promise to myself." And I that really resonated strongly. Um, though I do believe that it's always helpful to take time to think about how you want to continue to grow and and do better. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm not against it. Mm-hmm. I don't usually participate, but this year, you know, I'm trying to start the year off. I'm doing dry January, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. What compelled you to do that? Uh, just ha- uh, drinking every day for 10 to 12 <laughs> days in a row, if not more, because that doesn't take into consideration the days before right. vacations. So. Right. Okay, quick thing about Dave Chappelle. Yeah. This is maybe a longer conversation that we can have later, but um, I watched You've Got Mail on uh-huh. the plane. Dave Chappelle is in that movie. I did not know that. Right? Who does he play in Legit that movie? Legit in the movie. He plays Tom Hanks' right-hand man, similar to Bradley Cooper's right-hand man. In what movie? Star is Born. Oh, yeah. Which, actually, I never watched. Ah. Uh. Yeah. But I do <laughs> love the song. But um, Which song? Which song? Do you want to sing it? Oh, 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 I'm in the deep end. Watch as I dive in. I'm in the room. <laughs> nah. Yay! Another podcast wow, talking wow. about the shallow. I didn't want to miss an opportunity to sing Thank or to you. hear you sing. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got some New Year's resolutions. I want to hear them. So on New Year's, I made a commitment to actually once and for all get try to like really curb the anxiety that I live with at a like low decibel yeah. all the time every day. Obviously, it's like not it's not like 100% constantly there, but it's there way more than I would like. And I'm kind of over it. I'm just like done with it. Yeah. And so I have three resolutions. Oh, great. The first, which is like scary to say on air because now I have like more public accountability. accountability mechanism. Yeah. Well, the first is to stop drinking during the week. Goodbye. (laughs) <laughs> the second, which meant last night, I was like, I only have two more hours of alcohol <laughs> for the next, like, six days. Um, the second is to dance three times a week. And then the third is to go to therapy, which is really the hardest one for me to do because that involves just, like, finding a therapist and finding someone who can see me, like, nights or weekends and mm-hmm. finding someone that I like and who's it's not on, too expensive. Yeah, I was going to say who's on your insurance plan. Right. Yeah. So that's it. Congrats, Emma. And now you all know. <laughs> so when you see me with a beer in my hand on a Wednesday, feel free to just knock that shit out of my <laughs> hand. <laughs> cool. cool. The next question that you have 
is what was the most millennial gift that you received this holiday season? And I'm going to turn that to you. Well, I just was thinking about it, you know, before the break, we talked about some lists, which I continued to find, by the way, of (laughs) like millennial gift guides. Um, I think the most millennial, I received two that I think are the most millennial gift. One from each of my brothers. One was a mug with a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote on it. Yes. That seems like a really millennial gift. Oh, I also, sorry, three. My sister-in-law got me one of those uh, Phenomenal Woman Mm t-shirts. So that seemed like an appropriate millennial gift. And then my other brother literally got me a book about millennials. And what's more millennial than a book about your own generation to learn more about? Your generation. Nothing. Nothing. The only thing more millennial is potentially a podcast where yeah. you talk about <laughs> your own generation. Good for point. For 14 episodes. <laughs> yeah, so that was my uh, millennial gift experience. Did you have That's any that awesome. were particularly millennial? I made a huge point this year. I try to make this point every year, but I made a huge point this year of have my family commit to not giving gifts. Great. Because... Every time we do that, it's always like, it just feels a little like we are pushing ourselves to engage in a tradition that to me doesn't render enough joy to be worth the amount of money that we spend. Yeah. So I did a millennial thing, which was had an experience be my sort of like holiday gift. Yeah. And we know millennials are really big into experiences. True. So I guess that's my... That's my millennial gift was giving myself the gift of a trip to New York and Mm -hmm. seeing people I love and doing some fun shit and charging it all on my credit card and not worrying about it. Great. That seems like a total millennial gift. Hey. Yeah. It was great. Oh, and I got Samin Nosrat's salt, fat, acid, heat cookbook, which I think is kind of millennial. Speaking of the act of gift giving, you also found some interesting news about millennial parents. Yeah, and it was around this idea of of gifts and toys, which is um, that millennial parents are opting more and more for gender-neutral toys. Hmm. So as opposed to relying on pink and blue to differentiate what gifts they should give their children... Um, or, you know, using that as a means of prohibiting their children from accessing the gifts that they potentially want, regardless of their gender identity. Uh, millennial parents are like, screw that. If a kid wants a drone, and it, regardless of their gender identity, maybe they want a drone. Woo. You know? Or, like, maybe they want this, you know, kitchen, which is what my nephew got for Christmas, and he's flipping in love with it but um one thing that just it made me think of is we know that gendered toys is directly the result of misogyny Mm -hmm. and i love this effort as a generation to be like no we don't have to actually do that anymore right like you know of course uh a misogynist would not want their male son playing with something that is traditionally female Mm -hmm. you know And as a girl who grew up playing with a lot of her brother's toys, like, it was the best to have a lot of options and to not be prohibited based on my gender from um, building block houses and spaceships out of Legos and Mm -hmm. all of that shit, so. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, like Grace the Capitalist was interested in one particular quote, um, which it, the the summary of which is like, it's better for businesses to not limit their customer base to a certain gender. So it, um, Corey Pearson, who's the chief executive of Castora, which is a cloud-based customer um, analytics software company, mm-hmm. um, he says in an article about this from MarketWatch, um, it, it's more effective to think of customers in terms of interests and, produ- and products they like and lead into gender and other demographics after. So just sort of an interesting point that it's actually in the interest, it's against the interest of businesses to be gendering toys anyway at the start. Sure. And thinking of their customers based on their gender identity and and making assumptions or moving from there. Um, so just like, as always, like, it's also in the better interest of like businesses and capitalism to... Move be- away from the patriarchy? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't they understand? <laughs> Did you see that meme that was like, I can't wait till we get rid of the gender reveal parties and instead have astrology reveal parties? (laughs) Like, it's a Gemini! (laughs) I love that. I know. The only flaw is like, you can't actually completely 100% predict. It's true. Some babies are born early and some are born late. Yep. All right, all right. Um, is it time for our our favorite segment? Wait, they're all our favorite segments. Yeah, we don't have favorites. No. All right, it's time for their next segment called Millennials in the News. In the News. Uh, I'm really excited about this because I found this article on my company's Slack channel. My CEO actually slacked it out to the entire company and was like. What's the deal with this? What's going on? And here's the deal. More first-time homebuyers, specifically younger homebuyers, are getting assistance with their down payments from their parents and other close relatives. Mm-hmm. Surprising. No. <laughs> no. No. Not. <laughs> not surprising. So basically, what was super exciting to me about this was not only that I found the article to be interesting, but actually that it was written by a good friend of mine, Ben Eisen, who works at the Wall Street Journal and is a staff writer there. And he does a lot of work around home buying and mortgages, which is really great for me because I work at a mortgage lender. And I just found this article to be kind of cool. And basically it talks about the fact that more than 26% of the mortgage borrowers who use the FHA insured loans, which are basically loans insured by the Federal Housing Administration, mm. those are loans that usually require a less down, like less amount in a down payment and a lesser credit score because they're insured by the federal government. Mm. But the federal government has this program in order to incentivize people to buy homes, particularly people who like don't necessarily meet the standards or qualifications for mortgages that are... Um, held by private banks, like Wells Fargo. It's like a Stafford loan. Exactly. But for home buying. Right. Yeah. And incentivizes, guess what? Capitalism! (laughs) (laughs) We should all become home buyers. But in reality, we should, because property is still one of the best investments. Anyways... (laughs) So it's increased, but just buy it in a in like a climate safe. Yeah, 
We're all moving to we're all moving to Oregon, people. Um, so the, it's increased from to twenty six percent from about twenty two percent, and basically it says what we all kind of know to be true and have sort of like alluded to in conversations on this podcast already, which are that younger people are saddled with student debt. We also live, a lot of us live in places where the cost of living is really high, making it really challenging to save up enough money to, to make um, a down payment or a significant down payment mm-hmm. on a home. And so therefore a lot, a lot more of these folks that are doing this first time home buying program are getting um, significant amounts of help from their families. I think it's also really important for us to say that we know that for a lot of families who are able to help their kids or their close relatives buy a home, a lot of those people who have already had the privilege to be able to buy a home. So we know that generational wealth is often passed down through homes itself. And people have increased equity, um, have increased access to liquid assets when you buy a home because you already have that stable investment. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's not mentioned in this article, but what I do want to just sort of have us make sure we acknowledge when we talk about this is that we also need to acknowledge that this generational wealth and this ability to assist Mm -hmm. with home ownership is something that um, isn't necessarily accessible to all people of all backgrounds and all races, particularly those that have traditionally been disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. Um, including people of color. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, one other thing that I saw a lot over the last um, few weeks in in some of the sources that I look at, a lot, there must have been some release of like top 10 cities where, where home ownership and home buying by millennial generation mm. is most lucrative. Wait, do you know any off the top of your head? Yes. Wait, can I guess? Yeah. I mean, um, do you want me to look it up? Yeah. I want to know. Cities. But guess I what guess. was number two? Ithaca. Minneapolis. <laughs> We're all going to Minneapolis, people. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to guess three right now. Okay. Minneapolis. Okay, well, you already told me Minneapolis. <laughs> um, I'm going to guess Denver. I'm going to guess San Antonio. And I'm going to guess Atlanta. Those are my three guesses. I feel like... Okay. Okay. Oh, you got it? Um, Minneapolis. Great. Pittsburgh. Hmm. Salt Lake City, hmm. which is the highest, I think. Buffalo. Denver. <gasps> wow. Okay. Gotcha. St. Louis. Kansas City. So these are the most popular cities for millennial homebuyers. Huh. huh. Tampa, Florida. Tampa. Oh, wait. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Scratch No, that. not Tampa. Not, not Tampa. going to Tampa. That's okay. I think the important point for us to just kind of make note of is, like, what is the economic status of our generation? Mm. What And then what are sort of, like, the workarounds that some people are trying to navigate? Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, keep saving people. Yeah. If anyone wants to go in on, like communal living somewhere Mm. I'm super down Um, this is a small small comment and I'm interested in your thoughts too but uh, I saw a number uh, of articles um, coming out that say millennial women are working just as much as their um, male identifying counterparts but 
are still doing most of the housework. And you know where this was from, don't you? Uh, no, do I? The Pew Research Center. Pew, pew, pew! <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to say on air, I really want to take this opportunity and this opening to okay, say wait, that. Okay, wait, the neck, the neck. <laughs> Grace is, like, doing a lot of hand gestures and, like, breathy. I just want to say on air that um, Her hands I've are actually in been, prayer position. I've actually been taking a feminist stance these last few years. And um, so I've been living with Tony for about five years who is a male identifying counterpart my my male identifying counterpart and during that time i've really been doing probably if i'm generous about a quarter of the housework and um this really has this has just been a personal uh action i've taken against the patriarchy mm. um and that's why i have been <laughs> such a terrible roommate so I just want to like take this opportunity to say like Pew, thank you so much for validating my feminist stance and uh, for giving me so much reason to say you know what for women everywhere uh, I'm not gonna vacuum this week. Good for you, Gracie. <laughs> Get on the front lines with that shit. Can you make that into a T-shirt? I think we need a movement. I don't really have a huge thing to say about this because I don't live with a male-identifying counterpart other than my dad, who actually does do a shit ton of housework, and that has actually increased since he's retired. There you but go. I'm proud of my dad. He loves doing laundry, and he loves vacuuming. Yeah. And let me tell you, trick of the trade, in order to avoid doing my own laundry, I put my laundry in their laundry basket, and That's then, ooh, so clever. it just gets mixed in. <laughs> <laughs> my dad doesn't know the difference. The problem is that I often end up like having to do a swap out with my mom, especially oh, when it yeah. comes to like the sports bra. Like my dad's like, "Who's pink po- sports bra is this?" And I'm like, "Listen, girl, I don't know." <laughs> but it's been great. So I live yeah. with a male identifying counterpart that is quite feminist in his taking on of the housework as well. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Congrats to him and me. Yeah. For good, being so good. Good for us. Good for freaking us. Good call. Um, I'm excited to return to this, though. You've given me a lot to think about if mm. and when I enter into a relationship with a male-identifying counterpart, and if and when I end up living with said male-identifying counterpart, I will have that person listen to this episode. Great. That might never happen, but if it does, hopefully we'll own our home. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Millennials in politics. Yeah? I was going to, I don't know. Like, it's like very like monarchy style. I was going for like West Wing. I don't know. I've actually really never seen it. Well, this is the thing. Millennials are shaking up the shit. So instead of having the same old trope of, oops, sorry. That's okay. Am I hitting things that make it's noise. It's just shaking it a little. Oh, sorry. Instead of the same old trope of, like, the deep horn being, like, mm. the sound of Washington, we've got reggaeton. Ooh, yeah. yes. Tell us more. Basically, so I love my parents so much, but they're so predictable with their baby boomer shit. Like, mm. obviously they, like, took note of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but it wasn't until, like, Nancy Pelosi and Maureen O'Dowd Maureen Dowd. Scratch it from the record. (laughs) 
Maureen Dowd and others started like really affirming her mm. that my parents are now like so on board. Like last night they just couldn't stop talking about her dance video that just came out where yeah. she responded to Republicans trying to fucking throw her under the bus. Yeah. And my parents like couldn't get enough of it. And so last night at the dinner table they like my dad pulls out the laptop and like YouTubes it and Googles it. And they were so down. And I just want to say I'm so proud of people like her mm-hmm. and Rashida Talib mm-hmm. and others who are like actually fucking putting their money where the millennial mouths are. Mm-hmm. And people keep saying like, oh, they're taking a lesson from Trump on authenticity. I think that's bullshit because we know from data and research that our generation fully ascribes to and values authenticity in mm-hmm. ways like fewer generations have and mm-hmm. we live that in the way that we work and we live that in the way that we buy things mm-hmm. and we live that in the way that we express ourselves on social media so maybe Trump made authenticity cool for people who are down with some r- <laughs> stupid ass shit yeah but the authenticity piece has always been part of our existence mm-hmm. as millennials totally. and they're just bringing it and fully realizing it so do not give him credit for that shit right Please give the credit where it's where it's owed. Yeah. Which is our generation. I believe. I'm taking a stance. <laughs> I have nothing to add. That was so beautifully put. Oh. Shbangs. I love it. Great. Anyway, can't wait to keep seeing what they do. Me too. Me too. I got an intriguing article in my Teen Vogue Daily email updates, which Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movies should you watch according to your Zodiac sign? Did you look into yours? I did. What is it? Um, it's Holiday in the Sun from 2001. Okay, question. Have you seen that? I don't recall. <laughs> I didn't recognize it. Yeah, they go to the Bahamas. Yeah, I'm, I'm more... The ones that that stand out in my mind would be um, Our Lips Are Sealed, Mm. the one in Australia. Mm. Great movie. I don't think I ever saw it. Can't remember it really well, but I remember enjoying it. And Billboard Dad, obviously. Billboard Dad is so good. Is that yours? No, Virgo gets Billboard Dad. Wait, I just think this is so hilarious because the lengths that this person went to try to connect the Zodiac sign (laughs) to the movie are minimal. Let me see. (laughs) So it just, like basically gives a sum of a summary of the movie mm-hmm. and then there's always and then there's one line in the paragraph that connects the zodiac sign to the plot and it basically just for yours it says cancers with this with their emotional side are bound to get sucked into this relationship drama as if this is like the only film <laughs> that they made that has relationship drama and also as if like your emotional side is going to get you sucked in also is that a thing about cancers that were emotional is it really Who I, said that? Truly, Uh. truly, I think the intern wrote this article. (laughs) Like, no shade to the intern, but my friend. It's not great. Mine is It Takes Two from 1995. Ooh, is that the one with Christy Alley? Um, Christy Alley? It doesn't say. I can't remember. But but this is like parent trap E. Um, Uh, Yeah, it's with Christy Alley. So here's the reason why it's assigned to my sign. Mm-hmm. 
it gives the summary of the movie and then it says, but thinking on their feet, they're always ready for what's next. Just like you, Capricorn. Okay. <laughs> First of all, the number of clauses in that sentence is like far too many. Second of all, I am not always thinking on my feet and I am never ready for what's next. <laughs> So you just call got me up wrong. Dean Vogue. I know. Who is this? Although uh, I oh. will, t- it takes two is on Netflix apparently. So why don't you wait until mm. you watch it and then you'll watch it and be like, wow, this really does speak to me as a Capricorn. Oh, you know what? What? This is an issue of just someone really needing to churn something out by the end of a day mm-hmm. because she, the person who wrote this, is named D Elizabeth and or Day Elizabeth. And she is the weekend slash contributing editor. Like, she's not the intern. Got it. So. And who knows, Emma? I mean, maybe maybe Holiday in the Sun would really appeal to my emotional side. And maybe, you know what? We shouldn't shit on it without doing a test run. I don't know if I have the patience for that. Hey. We'll see. Anyway, um, feel free to look it up if you're interested in what Mary-Kate and Ashley movie you should be watching, according to when you were born. Look out, Tauruses. I think you're going to like what you see. Oh, cliffhanger. I'm just kidding. I don't remember what Taurus was. Oh, wait, no. Speaking of Zodiac. Oh, speaking of Zodiac. Um, my birth, so I, I, my birthstone is a pearl and I've always been really, really disappointed with that because it's like, this is not a stone to begin with and two I didn't like pearls but Forbes says pearls are the new millennial luxury gem and they're gonna survive beyond the the gem market because they're sustainable and they're more affordable but they come in a lot of different shapes and sizes what wait sorry but what happens when we inevitably destroy the oceans with climate change oh we start making them I couldn't tell you (laughs) <laughs> it says it's environmentally sustainable. Mm. Um, so that was just sort of like a fun tidbit. Who knew that, you know, all this time it was really just that my birthstone was the most millennial it could be. <gasps> Look at you, Gracie. All right. You ready for TBT? I'm so ready. TBT. Emma's in the in the agenda. What? I'm sorry. No, I wanted to see how long that note was going to last. <laughs> Um, in the agenda, Emma says that her TBT is a secret, so I'm on I'm on pins and needles. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I want you to go first. Great. I'll make this quick. Mine is to sand art. <laughs> Yay. Like, like going to... So I, think, I feel like I made sand art at Sesame Place, which was like a water park that was Sesame Street-themed. That sounds amazing. It is actually really... Is it, it was so much fun. Is it still around? It should be. Wait, I think so. Google it. Is it in New York? Uh, if not Jersey or <gasps> Connecticut or something. Is it New York? Yes. It's still here. There you go. Pennsylvania. Um, and my mom, my parents would, would not have taken us there, but I had a, you know, a friend whose parents were, were more fun who would take <laughs> us places. Always. No, I don't blame my parents for a second. It would be hell to take kids here, but <laughs> it was so much fun. Um, anyway, I feel like that's where I, I last made a sand art piece, but you know how you could get, you could pick out your Mm -hmm. like plastic, like it could be a dolphin or it could be, 
a castle <laughs> or you know a turtle and then you get to take the different color sand yeah so you get you for those who don't know who aren't sand artists like i was um you you get like a plastic case apply mm -hmm. in a shape and then you fill it with sand that's layered in different colors we can add uh, to, in to our Instagram some examples. Mm -hmm. um, and I just feel like it's a forgotten art form. I don't see it really anymore. What a great way to engage younger kids uh, in something creative that they can really take home. Um, so I just wanted to throw back to sand art. God forbid when you shake it and all the oh, sand God. becomes brown. Yeah, and do not shake it all up and lose all the layers or try to open it. Nope. Bad shit Bad happens. Bad news. That's so true. It did get really messed up when you shook it together, like a purpley brown. Yeah. Here's my TBT. It's we're bringing it full circle, and it's Great. in honor of New Year's. <gasps> Great. Do you remember the epic New Year's of 1999? <laughs> yes, into 2000. Yeah. And do you remember the hysteria? hysteria? Yeah. Yeah, around absolute it. chaos. So I did a little research before doing this because I remembered Y2K as like the Time for Kids magazine that came to my fifth grade classroom yes. was always making a big deal out of it. Yes, me too. And I remember the Times for Kids magazine. Yeah. I remember how they were like, they need to ground all the airplanes. Like airplanes will start falling out of the sky. So I read an article about it. Apparently, like, it was a huge deal. The reason why is because when the people who created the first computer programs like didn't really, I guess, have enough foresight and they were coding everything with just the last two digits of the year, so they mm. thought all the computer programs, when it switched from 99 to 2000, when it went from 99 to 00, mm -hmm. that the computers would think it was 1900 and completely flip out. Mm. Apparently it was a huge problem, and there was a huge task force facilitated in part by the federal government that actually deployed a ton of software engineers to reprogram shit in a very short period of time. And there's a lot of conspiracies around this idea that, like, it wasn't a big deal and they, like, m like people, like, were completely hyperbolic about it. But the guy who was, like, a big deal of this task force was this guy, David Eddy. And he's regarded as the guy who termed, coined the term Y2K. Mm -hmm. And he is actually really... Um, concerned with the fact that people think it wasn't a problem because he's like, it's not that it wasn't a problem. It's that we did a really good job of fixing oh, the problem. Yeah. So people think it's not a big deal, but it actually was a huge deal. And he said his stance is that his team just actually like did a Crushed really great it. job. Yeah. Which I'm really proud of them for. He basically says that the only way to be a hero in this instance, or sorry, he didn't do this. This other guy, John Koskinen, did it, who was appointed by Clinton to oversee the Y2K fixes. He says the only way to be a hero would be for half the world to stop and then somehow start again, which was not one of our goals. Like, in the, he says, like, a lot of things in government, if it works well, nobody cares that much. Right. And people only care when shit hits the fan. Right. So it made me think a lot about, like, the history mm. of avoided catastrophes yeah. and how the big, like, kind of upcoming catastrophe that is affecting a lot of people already that will continue to affect us is this idea of climate change. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have an ego problem in mm. the United States where we have been successful at fixing a lot of 
looming catastrophes or preventing mm. them. And so we don't necessarily have the same anxiety or feeling of having to rush and fix something because we have had in many instances a history of successfully preventing the bad shit from happening. So maybe if Y2K had caused some real shit to go down, then maybe we would think more seriously about some of the other impending problems like climate change. I'm basically just trying to turn this into a plug for us to, like, get our shit together with climate change. Y2K. The real truth about Y2K. Yeah. You heard it here. Someone get me on CNN. (laughs) Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Grace. 2019 is here. Let's see what we do with it. Love it. And thank you all for listening. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Pew, pew. See you in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight.